Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Happy Independence Day. And thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome back. This is our number two of the Best of Mornings with Carmen for this day after Independence Day here on Faith Radio. Yeah, Carmen is not in studio. I'm her producer, Paul Perot, but we'll still be hearing from Carmen as we're enjoying some of her best conversations over the last few months. Carmen will be back tomorrow. Coming up in a few moments, there's been a lot of news about the rise in violent crime over the last year in many cities like Minneapolis and Portland, but for Chicago... The problem of violence, including gun violence, has been a long-time issue. Maybe you're wondering, why isn't anybody doing anything about it? And for that matter, where are God's people in the midst of it? Oh, God's people have been active and making a difference. Back in May, Carmen talked with Dimas Celebrios. Dimas used to be a violent drug dealer in New York, but God got a hold of him and changed his life. Now he's a pastor, he leads a prayer movement in the city of New York, And he's a film producer, a good one at that. And his latest documentary is called Chicago, America's Hidden War. We'll hear Carmen's conversation with Demos in one minute. This is the Best of Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Saw a man, he danced with his wife in Chicago, Chicago, my hometown. Pastor Demas Salaberrios joins me now, uh, among other things. He is the producer of the documentary Chicago, America's Hidden War. Demas, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Good morning. So glad to be on with you. Well, I'm um, I'm thrilled to be talking with you. I look forward to conversations in the future about your ministry in New York City and um, all that God is doing in and through you. But today, let's let's focus in on Chicago uh, and America's hidden war. Tell people what is going on in Chicago. I mean, Chicago uh, really breaks my heart, you know, because one of the big things that's happening is, you know, it's like apathy has become this real enemy to people solving the problems in Chicago. And uh, our team went down there with with the heart to just share. I remember when New York City was the murder capital. I remember, you know, morgues were overflowing here with young people dead. I lost 30 friends during that time period that were shot and killed. And now, I mean, just this year alone, over 100 children have been shot in Chicago. Over 16 children are are dead. It's a war zone right in the middle of our heartland. And this genocidal behavior has to be addressed. So we made this film uh, to expose this reality. And to be honest, there are demonic forces, evil, that don't want even this film and this truth to get out. I can't tell you how many battles that we are constantly fighting. We have 
distribution. You know, we are in Regal Theaters this weekend and Marcus yeah. Theaters and, and several others, but it is an uphill battle that we're fighting because in the movie, uh, the most one of the most popular mayors, Rahm Emanuel, says, I need the church to help. And you see the church going out on the streets with guns being turned in, uh, gangbangers being baptized, people turning their lives around. And and I, I really feel like that is what we're battling against, you know? Uh, imagine theaters in Minneapolis, you know, this this past Sunday. We played in that area. And uh, and so so I'm just asking believers, keep us in prayer. The more we show up, the more it makes a difference. The website is Chicago's Hidden War. Dot com. Um, you can go there. You can watch the trailer. You can also put your zip code in and find a theater near you. Um, in uh, in our in our Twin Cities area, you could watch it uh, at in Plymouth and Lakeville and White Bear and Rogers and and Monticello. Um, but one of the things that I would say, Demas, that um, maybe is of concern and surprise to me. This movie's been out for a couple of weeks, and yet there's there's a crickets level of coverage, and it's very well done, and it's and the content is incredibly important. So let's talk about um, some of the realities on the ground in Chicago. Uh, it's it's what is true in Chicago is also true in other uh, metropolitan lo- locations across the country, but we're focusing in here on this most just it's it's heartbreaking. The stories are heartbreaking. And the numbers are now at such a scope, Demas, that it's hard to bring individuals into focus in our minds. But that's what we have to do. We have to focus on individuals because the numbers are overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the numbers, there's about 1,500 shooters in Chicago. And there's millions of us. You know, that this this that city is reachable. But what is in the way of that taking place is is a lack of caring. And in in many respects, people are struggling with faith to believe that that these people can be changed, you know, and that just points to this big cloud of apathy that blinds the eyes of people when we have to have empathy. We need to get to a place of saying a kid in Chicago should not have to sleep on a wood floor under his bed. A kid Mm -hmm. in Chicago should not have to live in fear and only feel safe when he's in school and in church. So, I mean, this movie has made the Oscar list. Uh, This is my directorial debut. Um, You know, we shot this at the highest level. We didn't pull back uh, anything. Uh, You know, we, the composer is from Berkeley, who's a social justice music composer, John Petitucci, who's also played in uh, on the film The Joker. I mean, like, there's nothing, you know, sometimes people think, oh, it's a faith film, it's just going to be, like, so-so. No, this will captivate you from beginning to end. It's selling out in theaters. It was sold out in multiple theaters all over Chicago, multiple theaters all over New York City. The LAPD is standing behind this film. The mayor in uh, out, out here in the police department in Rochester, New York, 
standing behind this film. I mean, there's so many people that are that are backing this film and saying this is a must see. There are cities now that are buying theaters out for churches. I mean, for not for churches, but for kids on the street to go and see it mm-hmm. for free. We have police departments going to see it. Well, and Dimas, um, you know, I think that when when people think about the parts of Chicago um, where these stories unfold most often, um, these are not parts of the city that people are going going into as tourists. And so let's talk a little bit about the reality um, in these neighborhoods. I know we need to take a very, very brief break, but when Dimas uh, Salaberrios and I ret- return, we're going to continue this conversation about Chicago, America's Hidden War. It is an excellent documentary film. It's in theaters right now. Chicago's Hidden is where you can find information about the film and put your zip code in and find a theater near you. And if there's not one near you, you could advocate at your local theater that they um, that they carry it, that they that they share it. And if you need to buy the theater out in order to get it shown in your community, um, maybe think about that as well. We're going to talk about the realities in the neighborhoods um, where most of us, most of us, um, you know, are not going to go when we visit Chicago. And uh, and so we want to know what the realities on the ground in these neighborhoods is like. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We need a strong God. Yeah. We need the real God. The God with the resurrection power from the grave. Talking with uh, Pastor Dimas Salaberrios. He is also the director of Chicago, America's Hidden War. You can find the movie at the website, chicagoshiddenwar.com. Dimas, for people who have never been to the parts of Chicago um, where the overwhelming majority of these shootings are taking place, take them into those neighborhoods. Talk about school there. Talk about church there. Talk about life there. Yeah, um, it's it's true. It's, it's truthfully like living in a war zone. Um, we came back, my family with PTSD. Uh, we were there on the ground. We saw fifty schools close, which meant that you know these kids that had schools in their neighborhood now have to travel through enemy territory to get to school. The way it is is wherever you're born, if you're born in a disciple area, you're considered a disciple. If you're a teenager, people will will fire guns on you. You know, it, it's like is that a, in a gang? Because the word disciple yeah, yeah, may yeah, not mean yeah, the yeah, same thing. See, Christianity, we think <laughs> disciples just mean disciples of Christ. I mean, no, there's there's a darker side to that title that was uh, picked up uh, with, with one of the big one of the big gangs in the city, and um, and and these people are really struggling. Uh, Food, it's a food shortage there, you know, like food chains, like, you know, ones that we normally go to. I don't want to call them out on the spot, but they've abandoned those areas. So no one should have to live the way that they're living there. And uh, and I thought you hit an excellent point. We need people to advocate, you know, out here in New York, they bombarded the Regal theaters out here and people said, we need this content where you're seeing the church really bringing love and compassion in, in ways that we couldn't even imagine. And also, we need something that's more unifying. This film, even though it's so-called Chicago, America's Hidden War, it's, it's a unifying movie. I mean, I was blown away. One of the biggest fears from some people at first were like, 
oh my gosh, what are the police going to think? What are they going to think about it? You know, uh, is this could be offensive to them. And I was like, what are you talking about? And, you know, we had the LAPD watch it. And they said, this is our favorite movie. The LAPD gave me a police escort into Watts as I had to go there and, and, and just see. And they was like, this is so balanced. This is the world that we're living in. This is the reality that we're going through. And, uh, and they, they, they came to our premiere like 10 officers strong, the heads of, of the LAPD when we did a, a premiere in L.A. So, you know, it's, it's a battle when we shine our light, but we got to shine our light. And what the Bible says, the world will know our love, that we'll know that we're his disciples for our love one for another. So I'm just going to be honest. This film needs faith love. This is a film, finally, where you can see the church making a difference and homicides drop because we're out on the street and the world's trying to make this their best kept secret. You know, we're fighting just to get them the right reviews. This was in the Oscars round one. I mean, what more can we do? You know, so mm -hmm. I'm just grateful for you, Carmen, and for others. But there has to be a local battle for it everywhere. Demas, let's talk about what churches are doing um, because lives are being transformed. Uh, you know, I think that when we talk about 1,500 shooters in a city of millions, 1,500 shooters doesn't sound like a lot. But each and every one of them needs to have their life transformed in order that uh, the gun violence comes to an end. So so talk with us about what churches are doing, because that's really what the movie is about. Yeah, well, right now they're doing something called Hands Across Chicago, Chicago United in Prayer. So, you know, the Church of Chicago is coming together to pray. We need to pray for them. They are overwhelmed. And in, in the midst of doing more funerals than anywhere else in the United States. And sometimes, you know, that hurt and that pain spills over. We need to pray for the church Chicago to have unity, to cheer each other on. But many of them are trying to hit the streets. They are trying to do mentor programs. You know, they're, they're getting guns turned in. They're doing all kind of really good work. But um, but it can go a lot further. Uh, you know, New York City is one of the most united churches, so I know where it can go, and uh, and they still have a ways to go there, and we'll see more results. The problem was they had great results, but then the coronavirus came along, and uh, and it just took that city uh, three steps back again. So it's like rebooting and starting all over. And I think people wearing masks just added an increase to the ability to shoot and not get caught. Mm. Um, let's talk about what happens when, uh, you know, a shooter is identified, because it's hard for me to imagine that in these communities, people don't know who's doing the shooting. Well, the people definitely know who's, who's doing the shooting, but there's been a breakdown from years. We have to remember Chicago is one of the most corrupt cities in the nation, mm -hmm. so... People that used to cooperate with the police, back in the day, the police were paid off by gangs and the mob, and they would turn those people in who cooperated. So there's years of broken trust and a culture that's been built, unfortunately, where the community is scared to talk to the police because they have a history of, of selling out. Elliot Ness, mm -hmm. his code name was known as 
the only man in Chicago that couldn't be bought out. So that lets you know um, that there's some deep uh, distrust there, but it's getting better. Demas, can we um, can we pray for you and pray for this film? I would I would be honored. Yes, please. We we would Father, welcome. Father, we thank you for our brother Demas, and we ask um, that you would pour out every resource necessary. Not only every spiritual resource, Father, which you you just clearly do, but Father, we need some resourcing for this film to penetrate into the marketplace of ideas here in America so that more people can not only understand what's happening on the ground, but catch the vision and catch a heart for the transformation of uh, of those who currently live with such a view of humanity um, as to see life as as not worth, um, as not worthy. And Father, we know that to be a lie. And we know that uh, that the destruction and the chaos in our communities, including Chicago, is a work of the enemy. And so, Father, we ask that he be bound today. Bind, bind yes. the enemy and yes. lift up life. And Father, grant the church the resources necessary um, in these communities to step forward and let us see lives transformed. Let the testimonies of, of folks who have been shooters, let their testimonies ring out, uh, Father, that more and more people might, um, might not only embrace Christ and a life transformed in him, but embrace life. Um, and so, Father, help us, help us um, to resource schools and, um, and families and churches in the front lines of this war, not only in Chicago, but in cities across America. Thank you, Father, for Demas. Your hand of blessing be upon him. Lift him up. Guard his heart and mind and family and ministry. Uh, and Father, continue to use him in powerful ways to bring the gospel to bear on the realities of life here in the United States of America. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Demas, um, thank you. Chicago'sHiddenWar.com is the website. Let me encourage you to watch the trailer. Let me encourage you to find a theater where it's playing near you. And if it's not playing in a theater near you, you go out today and you make that happen. Chicago'sHiddenWar.com. Demas, um, thank you so much. Let's talk again about you know what God what God's doing positively on the ground um, in in New York City. I think that one of the things that you said is going to be a surprise to people. And that that's uh, that in New York City, you know, there's a very united church. I'd love to have that conversation at some point. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Carmen. We look forward Amen. to it. Blessings. That's Blessings. Demas Salivarius. He is a, uh, a pastor in New York City. He's also the director of Chicago, America's Hidden War. You can find it at Chicago's Hidden We'll be right back. Well, again, thanks for listening to this Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Carmen will be back tomorrow. I'm her producer, Paul Perot. C.S. Lewis was such a talented writer, not just writing very compelling apologetical works and theologies, but then he turned around and wrote some very entertaining children's novels, the series The Chronicles of Narnia, and for us adults, the Space Trilogy, which I will hopefully be starting this month. But how did C.S. Lewis become C.S. Lewis? Coming up in about five minutes, we'll listen again to Carmen's conversation with Harry Lee Poe, author of The Making of C.S. Lewis. Hope you stay with us.
It is not God's will that you face every day with dread and trepidation. This is Max Lucado. I have a childhood memory that I cherish. My father loved cornbread and buttermilk. About 10 o'clock each night, he would meander into the kitchen and crumble a piece of cornbread into a glass of buttermilk, stand at the counter, and drink it. Then he'd make the rounds to the front and back doors, checking the locks. Once everything was secure, he would step into the bedroom I shared with my brother and say something like, Everything is secure, boys. You can go to sleep now. I have no inclination to believe that God loves cornbread and buttermilk, but I do believe He loves His children. He keeps everything secure. He oversees your world, and by His power, you will be anxious for nothing and discover the peace that passes all understanding. This is Max Locato. C.S. Lewis may well be one of your total favorite writers. If he's not, um, yeah, you need to read some Lewis this summer. Uh, Dr. Harry Lee Poe has made a career not only of studying Lewis, but of sharing C.S. Lewis with others. He is the Charles Colson University Professor of Faith and Culture at Union University. He has taught a course on C.S. Lewis for more than 15 years. He is the author of The Inklings of Oxford, C.S. Lewis Remembered, Becoming C.S. Lewis, and he's here today to talk with us about the making of C.S. Lewis. We're talking about one period of time in Lewis's life from 1918 to 1945. Dr. Poe, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's so good to be with you. Well, it's wonderful to have you. This is a volume two uh, of, uh, of a series, and so let's talk about, um, Let me, maybe we rewind a little bit. Remind us um, about who C.S. Lewis is kind of up to this point, and then we'll get to 1918 and we'll march ahead. C.S. Lewis was a professor of medieval and Renaissance literature. Uh, he taught for many years at Oxford and then went to Cambridge. Uh, he was an atheist until he was in his uh, early 30s, at which point he converted to faith in Christ. It was a surrender, something he had kicked against for years. And uh, after that, he uh, almost immediately became an apologist for uh, uh, the Christian faith. Um, he had a stellar academic career, but then he became um, popular during World War II uh, for uh, being able to speak to the common everyday person without a faith background and explain uh, the Christian faith to them. Depending on um, what people have read of C.S. Lewis, they may think that he is one thing or another. I mean, if you've only read Mere Christianity, you may think one thing. If you've only read the Chronicles of Narnia, you may think one thing. If you've only read the Screwtape Letters, you may think one thing. If you've only read... You see what you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Talk with us. I mean, he is a very... I mean, he... You know, he doesn't stay in his lane, and yet he stays in his lane. Talk about the breadth and scope of his writing. Well, you have really identified one of the, the amazing things about the man. Uh, his academic books are still in print um, almost 100 years later, and that just doesn't happen. Academic books tend to stay in print about three years. And um, 
so he, if he had never written anything about his faith, he would still be um, one of the two or three most prominent literary critics of the 20th century. But at the same time, he had varied interests. He was, he was interested in science fiction as just a real kick, and so he wrote science fiction stories. Um, he loved um, the medieval romances, and all of his children's stories, the Chronicles of Narnia, those seven volumes, are really um, medieval romances for children. Um, he, had a, he had a huge sense of humor and irony, and uh, he was a w very witty man, and um, in church one time, it was a really terrible sermon, boring sermon, and his mind began to wander, and he was concerned with the temptation of your mind wandering when you were in church, and he conceived the screw tape letters in which uh, a senior uh, devil is um, giving advice to his uh, young nephew just starting off his career as a tempter on how best to go about tempting the ordinary person. And so um, he, he just had a real grasp of life, really, and the breadth of it. And um, he saw the spiritual significance of the everyday, the commonplace, and the ordinary. And um, I think that uh, hopefully speaks to your listeners, because I think that's one of the things your, your ministry is, is doing, connecting faith with uh, the ordinary um, and the everyday of life. Absolutely. And one of the things that maybe stands out to me um, in, in what you're doing in this series of books. Uh, we're talking about the second installment in a series on the life of C.S. Lewis with the author, uh, Professor Harry Lee Poe from Union University. The book we're discussing today is The Making of C.S. Lewis, but The Becoming of C.S. Lewis is the lead-in to this conversation. Um, so I was struck by the people he meets along the way. I was struck by his willingness to radically rethink things. Um, the relationships that he has are influential. The time in which he lives, like he's responsive to the circumstances um, of what's going on in the world. Talk with us a little bit about what we get when we get into this portion of Lewis's life. One of the most essential things about being a Christian is one's willingness to change one's mind. If we've, um, well, I was going to say, if we've been steeped in sin, well, of course we've been steeped in sin prior to our conversion. And that means it's not just that we have to um, decide we believe in Jesus. It means we have to completely re reorient our entire understanding of the world, the universe, people, everything else. And one thing you get from Lewis is um, his willingness to change his mind. That's what the word repentance means. Um, literally, it means to change one's mind. Uh, his friend uh, Owen Barfield, who was not a Christian, often said of Lewis um, that Lewis didn't believe in uh, Darwin's natural selection, uh, but he was always changing his mind, this evolution idea. He was always changing his mind, whereas Barfield, who did believe in natural selection, never changed his mind about anything. So there's a spiritual grace that's given to help us change our mind about our own old attitudes, beliefs, behaviors. Um, so that's one big thing. The other big thing, I think, um, was Lewis's grasp of temptation. And um, once we've 
turn to Christ in faith, uh, once the Holy Spirit has regenerated us, um, we're out of Satan's clutches, but um, he can still uh, work on us, and uh, we ourselves can become a stumbling block to other people. And so Lewis was profoundly aware of uh, how temptation comes, and uh, it's usually not the big things that you go to jail for or wound up uh, in some scandal sheet. It's the ordinary things. And for Lewis, um, his worst sin was pride. He was smart, and he knew it. He was clever, and he knew it. And he was prideful, and he really knew that. And so what you wind up getting with Lewis is a man who, in practice, is very humble and yet is aware of how Satan uses um, the everyday moments of life to estrange us from our family, our friends, um, to take up things, habits, and behaviors that are destructive to us. And so we see that playing out in Lewis's life, and thus it informed his writing. So one of the things I do in this book is show how Lewis's personal faith and everyday life informed uh, all of his writing. I'm talking with Professor Harry Lee Poe. We are talking about the making of C.S. Lewis, and we'll be right back. Talking with Dr. Harry Lee Poe, we are talking about C.S. Lewis, and specifically we're talking today about Dr. Poe's brand new book, The Making of C.S. Lewis. It is the second in a series um, on the life of C.S. Lewis. And in this book, we cover the years 1918 to 1945. Really, Lewis's um, migration from being a devout atheist, or pilgrimage is probably a better word, uh, from being a devout atheist to really being one of the people to whom we can all point as a, a great uh, uh, a person who articulates and defends Christianity in a time not only of peace, but a time of war as well. Uh, Dr. Poe, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the times in which Lewis lived and how the circumstances of life, as you see it, influenced, um, you know, the way he approached these conversations. Okay, well, he he uh, was born at the end of the reign of Queen Victoria in 1898, um, when he was a teenager, um, when others would be beginning college here in the United States, he was a first lieutenant um, on the front line in France in the ghastliness of World War One. He was wounded, and uh, he bore that wound the uh, rest of his life. It was one of those, I think it inspired uh, Tolkien's idea of, of uh, Frodo carrying a, um, uh, um, a wound that wouldn't heal, Lewis had to have surgery during World War II to finally remove the last of the shrapnel um, that was making its way toward his lung and his heart. So um, uh, he had that ghastly experience. He came to, back to Oxford after World War One um, as a fashionable young man, and uh, he was caught up in the spirit of the age. He was an atheist, and he was dabbling in psychology, and it was the fashionable thing to do. And in his own spiritual biography, Surprised by law, uh, by um, Joy, um, he calls this the new look, the new look. Um, but while he was this fashionable young man with all the new ideas and the uh, radical view of life, um, 
he was being <laughs> attacked, not by Satan, but by the Holy Spirit. And um, uh, so he, he the, the things that he that he loved were rattling his experience of materialism. And he kept having this recurring experience that he would call joy. We would call it a, a mystical experience, something reaching out and touching him. Um, but he was also rethinking his materialism in light of the stories he loved. He, he loved these medieval uh, stories of valor and courage and going to the end of the world um, and risking all uh, to win the great prize, whatever it happened to be. And he, he loved this story, read it over and over again. And in fact, it winds up being the plot for his three science fiction stories and the Chronicles of Narnia, all of which involve a journey in which the people who take the journey are changed. And so you use the word pilgrimage. Um, he first uh, wrote his spiritual autobiography. We, we called it his testimony. Um, right after he was converted, it's called uh, the Pilgrim's Regress. Not that he um, lapsed or was apostate, but in contrast to the Pilgrim's Progress by Bunyan, who goes from the City of Destruction to the Heavenly City, Lewis realized that now that he's come to the cross, he's got to go back into the world and live. And that's the idea of the regress, that uh, when we're saved, we're still in this world. And that was the pr uh, prayer of Christ um, in uh, John chapter 17, that, that we not be taken out of the world, but we live in it. And so... Um, Lewis's testimony would find its way um, not into just a straightforward um, uh, book like Surprised by Joy, but mere Christianity is actually Lewis's testimony of his conversion. It's not really a philosophical work. He's telling us step by step how he changed his mind about the existence of God and about the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and that was fascinating to me when I uh, had gone into detail on uh, how he happened to um, change his mind about Christ and realize, oh my goodness, he's that's what he's explaining over the radio in um, mm. the beginning of World War One to all his listeners who maybe have had no church background at all. Surprised by Joy, maybe you would describe as his spiritual biography and mere Christianity, this chronicle of how he changed his mind. It's, a, it's definitely a more cerebral approach to the conversation, the Pilgrim's Regress, maybe the first writing down of his testimony, this, you know, we're, we're saved, um, or when we're saved, we're still in the world, but but we're no longer of it, and, you know, how then do we live? Um, so... Again, the the diversity and the breadth of his writing is really extraordinary. Um, when uh, you know you're you are working your way uh, writing through his life, so this book takes us from 1918 to 1945. He doesn't marry Joy until 1956. So I think we're all anticipating and hoping that there is going to be at least one more book. Yes. There is. It's already written. It's already in the hands of the publisher, and it will come out about this time next year. Put us on the list. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to be reading—we um, need to go back, if we haven't already, and read Becoming C.S. Lewis. This is The Making of C.S. Lewis, and we will await 
uh, the third book as well. But maybe when we're talking about recommended reading from C.S. Lewis, you could read him chronologically. You could read him thematically. Is there some other order? And is there a place that you would recommend starting? Oh, goodness. Um I start with the kind of book you like, because as you Mm. suggested, he writes different Mm -hmm. kinds of books. So he wrote three science fiction books. Um, For those who don't really like fiction, and I have some friends who who are only interested in ideas, not stories, then I would would start with Mere Christianity. Um, uh, For those who like uh, literature and the study of literature— I would read uh, The Allegory of Love. I I mentioned in this this second volume that The Allegory of Love is the only book C.S. Lewis ever wrote. All the others are just overflow from that book, and you'll find Mm. um, uh, the the outline for the Chronicles of Narnia. You'll find his concern uh, that he expresses in The Abolition of Man. Uh, The idea for the four loves is all in The Allegory of Love. Um, and uh, just over and over again, we see uh, his his main thought fully developed, well, not fully developed, but outlined by mm. in 1936 when he published The Allegory of Love. But he was able to write it because of um, what happened in that first book as a teenager, his interests in literature. And it was those teenage years and what he was reading then and then in his 20s as an atheist, what he was reading to, in order to write the allegory of love that made him able to be an apologist because he had to read all of the Christian literature of the medieval period. He had to know the Bible. He had to read the old theologians in order to understand the medieval literature so that when he became a Christian, he had the information, but now it was enlivened by the Holy Spirit. And so he could immediately become an apologist, which is, is fascinating to me. It's totally fascinating. It is amazing how God works it all together, is it not? I mean, it's just, it's just extraordinary. It is, yes. Well, I love, um, I love Lewis. I love um, so many things about him. And your series of books is helping me to know him better. So thank you, Dr. Poe. That is Dr. Harry Lee Poe, the book we are discussing today, The Making of C.S. Lewis. But we might want to recommend that you read Becoming C.S. Lewis as a lead-in to this one. And you can find Dr. Poe at Union University. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure. We'll be right back. Well, again, good morning, and thank you for listening to this Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge for this Monday as we wind down the 4th of July holiday weekend. Carmen will be back in tomorrow. You still have a few days to go to MyFaithRadio.com to sign up for an opportunity to receive a copy of the book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, Defining Moments That Shaped Our Enduring Foundation. It's by Robert Morgan. We have like 100 copies to give away, so to be eligible to receive one, you got to sign up at MyFaithRadio.com. Also, we hope you join our friend Susie Larson later this month for a special live stream event on Faith Radio's Facebook and YouTube channels called Dream Big, Start Small. 
It's on July 29th, and Susie will be joined by author and pastor Mark Batterson. So make sure you like us on our Facebook page or subscribe to our YouTube channel or both. You also can get more information by texting the word EVENT to 877-933-2484. Well, I'm Paul Perot, Carmen's producer. Thank you for listening to this Best of Mornings with Carmen on listener-supported Faith Radio. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.